0: Hello everyone and welcome back to episode four of the Inspired Podcast brought to you by American Indian Graduate Center. Once again, I am glad to be here with you. I'm your host, Dr. Corey Still. And today we have a really exciting discussion prepared um, that centers projecting our voices in higher ed. And we are excited to be joined today by AIGC alumnus, Wakaya Wells, and a current AIGC scholar, Tama Menace. Wakaya is an enrolled member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. They earned their Bachelor of Arts in Native American Studies from Dartmouth College and a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the Institute of American Indian Arts. Wakaya has built a career of empowering scholars in higher education. They have served as a success coach for their tribe, as well as an Assistant Director of Diversity and Belonging with the Oregon Institute of Technology. Wakaya recently accepted a new role as the Excellence and Equity Coordinator of Osseo Area Schools in Minnesota. Taima is a descendant of the Meskwaki and Sack Nation. She is currently pursuing a master's degree in instructional leadership and academic curriculum from the University of Oklahoma, where she serves as a research assistant working on initiatives for an indigenous higher education. Previously, she also earned a Bachelor's of Arts in Native American Studies. So, Wakaya, Taima, I just want to welcome both of you here today. Thank you so much. Um, for coming, sharing space with us. Um, and so I, we just want to kind of go ahead and jump into the discussion here. I know we gave the introduction, but could you all just tell us a little bit more about yourselves and your backgrounds? And Wakam, we'll kind I of want to toss it to you first.
1: Yes, thank you, Corey. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, so, Halito Chumachukma Sachifoya Wakai Wells, Micha Chata um Hugo Oklahoma, Amenti Lee. Uh, so hello everyone, how are you? My name is Wakaya Wells. Um, I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. Um, I'm originally from Hugo, Oklahoma, District 8 of the Choctaw Nation. And um, I'm two-spirit uh, uh, and half-man uh, in the Choctaw language. and. Um, yeah, that's where I come from. I just recently moved to Minnesota, which is a whole new experience. I was telling Corey I'm finally in the central time zone again. So um, it's kind of weird. I'm not having to add two hours to everything when I wanna, like call my parents, my family, which is good um and yeah just adjusting i've been in higher ed for for a while now and and did a lot of undergraduate uh positions as well and and now i'm sort of shifting into the k-12 space and um but happy to be here and and have this discussion
0: thank you so much Tama. would you mind introducing yourself
2: no not at all uh to be corey um and all of aigc for having me um Ho Masu, IUE, University of Oklahoma, a little bit what Corey already said. Um, I'm a graduate student at the University of Oklahoma, studying instructional leadership and academic curriculum uh, with an emphasis on secondary social studies education. And my research predominantly looks at uh, decolonizing um, secondary history classes. Um, Meskwaki and Sack and Fox. The most important fact. And um, in my free time, I like to kickbox and freelance photography. So that's a little bit more about me. But thank you all for having me. I look really forward uh, to our discussion.
0: Thank you both. And you know, I know we've known each other in different realms over the past few years. You know, and I know uh, both of you have served and continue to serve as advocates for native students, not just in higher education, but you know, Wakaya now you're serving in K-12. So you're, you're serving as these advocates and really as student leaders as well, you know, both in and off campus um, and even from an administrative perspective. So do you all have any advice or personal experiences that you w- would wanna share that might be able to empower our American Indian Graduate Center students as they experience higher education for the first time, you know, whether that be as an undergraduate or as you know, a first-time graduate student, what are what are some pieces or words of wisdom that you might share with them?
2: I think the biggest piece of advice, and I was kind of thinking about this earlier in preparation, um, finding your community, however that looks like for you, I think is. Definitely the most empowering thing anybody can do in higher ed. And it really took me about two years in my undergrad to find um, what I would consider my home. And that was within the Native American studies, uh, the NAS community, and then also just the native student community. And so I, looking back, I wish I would have pursued that um, earlier in my undergrad experience, but going into my um, graduate school experience, it's definitely made all of the difference. Well, for me in particular, moving from under my undergrad was in Native American studies. And so I was around Native people pretty much 24 seven, you know, at home I was with Native people and then when I would go to university and that's not an experience that a lot of students get particularly at PWIs. um, And so I had the the benefit of following one of my mentors um, to graduate school she was actually moving to um, another department within the college and um, I was moving into ILAC and so it, it worked out really well um, but even thinking about not having her community working within the indigenous education initiatives and having that native space where I can be a native person and um, be in community with people who share similar worldviews. Um, I definitely think it makes all the difference just to have that space where you can exist as yourself.
0: I can definitely relate, you know, this notion of having space. Oh, Wakai, well, do you want to add anything there?
1: Yeah, I think um, I would just say if you're coming into a new space and you're in new to the university space, whether you're an undergraduate student coming, you know, if you're a traditionally aged student coming from home and, and wherever you live and with, from leaving your family, I think that um, it, it can be difficult to trust you're coming from a good place or that your your background and your foundation got you to where you are, especially in, in like like Timo was saying in PWIs and just in a Western academic system, it can be sort of hard because I think you're up against things that challenge your notion of your own knowledge and your skill set and the gifts that you have. And so I think uh, if I were to tell anything to empower native students, it would just mean, you know, where you come from got you here and got you this far. And that just because um, other students that you're in a classroom with, because I think in a lot of our universities, Being native, you might be one of only a couple in the class that might be mostly white students that are also in the classroom. And so just because they had a certain education and upbringing or maybe use certain vocabulary. um, Don't take that as a slight against how you talk or what you're bringing to the room because you're there for a reason and, and, and what you have to say matters. And so I think when I first come into the space, it was sort of like, oh, do I need to be quiet? Or I don't talk like them, so should I say anything at all? And I think with the graduate level um, scholars, I think that it can be similar of like, oh, I'm I'm in graduate level coursework. Am I smart enough to be in this space? Like, yeah, I have my bachelor's, but this seems so much higher level. And I think that just once again, like trusting your expertise, your knowledge, the the bachelors or the degrees you already have and the experiences you have are going to take you further. And it, it, it's hard, but I think it just takes practice and being able to find your voice and 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 speak up because no one else is going to say the same thing that you are going to say. And, and no one... Um, has the same stories you do and family members that you do, unless your like cousin is also like taking classes with you, (laughs) then you might repeat each other, but that's still, maybe they need two of you. Um, But yeah, that's what I would say um, to to empower students.
0: And I, you know, Wakaya, I think you really bring up, both of you bring up really good points, but in particularly, you know, when we think about higher ed, especially through an indigenous context, We know that as Native people, we are entering spaces that were never intended for us. They were never designed for us. And, you know, I think Tama, your research, you talk about decolonizing the classrooms and things like that, but even Wakai, you know, you talked about finding your voice far too often, you know, I I know I was as a reflect on my own collegiate experience. And I'm sure I I don't want to speak for you both, but I'm sure you all have been and found yourself in instances where, you know, we feel silenced in higher ed. Wakara, you, you specifically talked about being able to find your voice. How do we, like, how do we go about that, though? Like, how How do students go about finding your voice? Do you all have any best practices or suggestions
1: for our listeners? I was going to joke and be like, just carry a microphone around. <laughs> <laughs> have your little like speaker with you and you know as you walk around campus I think for me um I I mean I'm a writer as well and a storyteller and so one of the things that really gave me a platform was my writing and so it was going into these spaces and um working with other poets and writers and thinking about okay like how do I make sense of the world that I grew up in and the family that I come from and, you know, growing up hearing stories from family that, you know, because I went, I grew up in Oklahoma, I went to school in New Hampshire at Dartmouth. I was far away from home, so it's almost even though I was homesick, there is sort of this level of separation from family that's, that makes you think and sort of do inventory of okay, I'm around all these people that are different from me. They're all bringing their stories into the room. What story am I bringing and how do I want to craft it? And, you know, I think that um, that really made me sort of analytical, but it also made my story sing more. And, and, you know, as a writer, you say, how do you make a story sing? How do you make the words sing? And I think that um, for me, uh, that's, that's what I did. And and so whenever I started standing up on the stage and literally having a microphone um, and sharing poems and, and story, that gave me the confidence I needed to really know, okay, like I'm not, oh, and another thing is too, sorry about shifting gears, but accents. When I went to school, I met so many people who would say, oh, I love your accent. Like I got rid of mine. Or, you know, come from somewhere where they don't speak Um, like people do in the Northeast, I guess. I don't know what people are trying to speak like, but they'd say I dropped mine because I didn't want to be judged for it or I didn't want people to think I was dumber because I spoke slower. And so that was a really conscious choice of mine in in the spaces I was in. It's like, no, I'm going to trust how I talk and where I was raised and not put them behind me or close the door on them because... I know that my grandma going to boarding school. I know my family that had to go through historical trauma and is dealing with and battling addiction and all these other things that are happening at home. I can't turn a blind eye to them because I come from this place too. And it's what makes me who I am. And so I'm not going to apologize. And so that's what I always tell my students at the higher ed level is live unapologetically you don't need to apologize for how you look how you talk um, how your hair looks um, how you dress really come into your own and be who you're meant to be because so often like you said Corey in these spaces we weren't allowed, or or when we were allowed, we were taught to be assimilated or policed or whatever. And so if you can come into that space and be your authentic self through all the other BS that's going on around you, um, not only do you stand to benefit, but I think the people you come in contact stand to benefit as well.
2: Kind of on Wakaya's point, this idea about like thinking about the people who have paved the path before us and the people that are going to come after us, um, and reflecting on that in times of trouble, I think has been what we have always done as Native people. Um, you know, if there's not a community, because I can't even imagine going to some place like Dartmouth where there's, you know, there's still a Native population, but it's much smaller than at a place like OU. And I felt really fortunate. Um, with the native population that I had and the peers that I was able to be in community with because when I felt silenced, I was able to find the support within those people. Um, But reflecting on you know, if I were to be in a space that was more of a predominantly PWI than even OU is, I think reflecting on the people that came before me and the people that are are going to come after me because that's our role and responsibility, um, I believe you know, gives me my voice and reminds me what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, So no, I really appreciate Wakaya you talking um, about how you're not going to give up your accent or you're not going to, you know, start conforming to um, the ways that we're supposed to because the entire process of, I I just think so many parts of our society try to assimilate us into this culture um, that ignores all of the important components of what it means to be a native person. And so by continuing to, to fight up against that, even in ways that might seem small, like keeping your accent, I think are really, really critical um, to forming your voice um, in these spaces.
0: I think, I think both of you really made some critical points there. So Wakai, well, real quick, I wanted to talk to one where you spoke about finding your voice necessarily isn't actually having a voice. You know, and I think that's something that we can sometimes get confused with, because that your voice can come through your writing, through, can come through your poetry, can come through uh, your art, and that voice takes on multiple beings and multiple forms. And I think that's important that our you know, especially our listeners hear that that you know, you don't have to be the person out there up front leading the charge, you know, speaking on behalf of the masses. You could be that person that's crafting that letter. You could be that person that has that painting or that is producing that music or is producing that art that tells that story. You know, the, our voices come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and different modes and mediums. And I think that's really important. And then Tama, um, as you were talking about, you know, understanding that our voice isn't singular. You know, we find our voice in community. And I, I think that is something that, especially as Indigenous people, ties us together—not just at a single institution, but a- across the entire field—is that we find our voice in community, and our voice is strengthened by that community. Whether that be, you know, our community, our academic community, our social community, our student organizations, our faculty staff organizations—you know—we find the, we find those voices, and I think we talk about voice, that's a really big part of what we see happening in higher ed today. So, you know, we know we've seen a really strong emphasis over the past few years over diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, we've seen a lot of DEI initiatives happen on college campuses across the U.S. Um, And then, you know, I know both of you, you know, Wakai in particular, you've worked with DEI frameworks. Um, I know you've worked with that, and then Tema, I know you've you've done a lot in DEI, especially from the student perspective on on your campus. Um, how how can universities ensure that their policies are addressing the needs of Native students? Or what do you think are some ways that they can better include those voices in those DEI initiatives?
2: Yeah, I, at the risk of being um... I don't know callous i think you know talking to native students or hiring native faculty is the most direct way that this can be accomplished and i think too often universities or, or higher ed think that there's like some secret formula to diversity and inclusion and if all of these people who look exactly the same can just sit in this ivory tower and talk about it then you know eventually they'll f- figure out how to make a diverse and inclusive university but the people that are in that room are are not reflective of the student population that they're desiring. And so I think that's really where the conversation needs to be is um, like how reflective is our faculty and staff to the population of students that we want and you know what needs to change and shift so that we can achieve that goal. Um, In addition, I think something that University of Oklahoma has tried to do a few times and um, I'd like to see it return after COVID is like a student advisory board uh, with the administration where native students get that face time one-on-one with upper administration and really get to share, you know, what their desires are, what they're seeing um, because so often the native voice is just dismissed uh, within these conversations.
1: Yes, hire more native faculty and staff. That's a huge thing. And, uh, and don't use the excuse that we can't find them. If you can't find them, you're not doing your job as a as a university. I think uh, one thing that I thought about at the last institution I worked at, there was no procedure or policy that allowed students to smudge on campus. And so that was a huge problem in my eyes, and the eyes of my students, if if they can't practice their spirituality, then they don't really feel welcome. They don't feel like they belong. And so, uh, you know, do you have policies and procedures that pertain to Native students that allow them to be themselves in your spaces and not feel like an outsider? I, I think also our universities, I, I feel like there's so much missed opportunity when it comes to partnering with Native nations. You know, I think that sometimes some universities understand that Native folks are a little bit different in the terms of the DEI world and you know multiculturalism and other minorities. We, some people realize, OK, they are different. These are sovereign nations. But there is still in some DEI efforts where they loop Native folks in with everyone else, which I think you should be acknowledging every group's different. Um, uniqueness and 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 what they contribute and how they exist in the world. But I think for native folks specifically, you know, there can be so many different things that universities can be doing to partner with tribes. And like, you know, we've been, I know from my tribe, you know, there's there were negatives and positives, you know, even during the boarding school area of us sending our kids our kids to Dartmouth and places like Yale back in the like 1800s. And so I think if there's real conversation around we've been doing this and like now we have more autonomy over what our students are learning and and they're, if they can be safer in the place there, then are we doing more as a university standpoint with the amount of funds and resources they have to actually do projects and involve leaders that are on the ground in Indian country. Because I think so much of our learning, there are a lot of schools that are going into models of like, we want hands-on, we don't want them to just sit in the classroom. So I always was wondering, okay, so how do we leverage that into, let's go to the reservation and not do it with this approach of Here's your knowledge or like how colonizers have been doing for centuries. But let's work on something together. Is there a project that our engineering students can be doing? Is there something that uh, our medical students can be assisting with in tribal health? Like, I don't think that I, I think our students are underutilized in the fact that we wait for them to get degrees and then they go and get internships, maybe back at the tribe. but so much so much brilliance I witness of the the students that are around me native students when I was in school I'm like we're not being utilized you know we're not there's so much that we can be doing for our tribes but our universities aren't creating these pathways for that to happen so I would encourage every university that's that's near a tribe you know or a tribal population they need to be doing the work To bring these people in. You you can't just use the excuse of, oh, I went to the powwow. Like, I go to the powwow every year and eat my Indian taco. Like, good on you for, like, supporting the Native Club and eating your Indian taco, but, like, it takes more than that. And, like, like uh, Tema said, actually bringing people in the room and listening to them and knowing their experiences, because we don't want to just be your token Indian either, like, who's giving your Indian taco like sure we'll take your money we'll go do something with it but like we want more than that and we want to to use our expertise to help our people and and universities can do more to create that pathways and I know there are universities that are doing that but I still feel like there's a lot more that could happen.
0: Intentional collaboration you know not just saying you know oh what what can we do or not being re- reactionary, it's being um, proactive. And I, I totally agree with utilizing our students because our students, even before they hold those degrees, hold so much knowledge and power and resources that could benefit um, all of our communities. And, you know, I, I think we've talked a lot about the administration, but I think all of us know the administration does not deal with scholars and students on a day-to-day basis. Um, oftentimes that's at the faculty and staff level. And so I wanna kind of shift our thinking a little bit because you know we talk about having those intentional collaborations from the administration, but how can we help university faculty and staff or how can they take action on those day-to-day basis? What can they do, those non-native faculty staff to support native scholars in the classroom and across campuses?
1: I think uh, one way is that native students shouldn't have to come to classrooms and like see native mascot, Indian mascots on other people's clothing. Like that just completely interrupts the focus and what you're there for. So, I mean, if you're a professor um, in in your classroom, you shouldn't allow that. So if you were to see someone Wearing something like that or bringing that into the classroom—that should be a conversation before, or after class. Of hey, that's not allowed in my classroom. Um, that's one really small way. Um, I think too, uh, sort of. I think it goes both ways. But I've I've learned as a student and also now we're work, having worked in higher ed, that as a teacher, as a professional as a staff member, I can say a hundred times, hey, come, come meet with me. My door is always open. And as a student, I'll never show up. <laughs> and I don't, I, I've had to like learn ways as a student, um, I think I didn't learn until later in my college career that like, if I'm struggling in a class that I can really, I really can go and meet with them and go to office hours. I was always too afraid to do that. But I think as as a, as a faculty member, I, I realize sometimes you have a lot of students, but I would say with native students um, and really all students too, but like, are you doing enough early enough? And, and are you, or are you just sitting back and saying like, come see me and it's like it can be really daunting as a student to like go into those buildings where the professors have their offices and there's like a power dynamic at play and you like don't want to sound stupid and. um, So I think just are you doing enough to, to connect with your students and and I think also are you. I know I joked about the Indian tacos but like are you showing up in native spaces like are you making your face known I think when 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 I was an undergrad we did a dinner dinner with faculty night or something where you could invite a faculty member and bring them to like our native American house and um, have dinner and kind of just get to know them on more personal levels and so you know are you showing up for that or if you're a dean are you showing up um for for those sorts of events because we'll know if you're not there you know and and native students talk and so they're gonna know like if you whenever you're filling out your classes for the next semester you're asking your friends like have you taken them like are they nice like and the more you you are showing up and showing your face, the more likely that Native students are gonna be successful in your classes because they know they're gonna be supported and they know that they have someone that they can talk to and not someone that they're afraid of.
2: For sure, I, I retweet everything where Kaya says and they mentioned a really great point um, this idea, and it came up in the earlier questions too, this idea of not being reactionary. Um, and I think that the same thing applies with students in your classroom or, you know, whether it's a K through 12 space or the higher ed space um, with faculty and staff, but you don't want to wait until midterms or the final to say, oh, you know, why is this student not showing up or not coming in and then make those changes? Because I mean, we all know in, in higher ed and even with an undergrad, you maybe have four grades total and so it if you wait until your students have already failed the first two assignments to bring them in and to f- realize that there's misconnections or whatever it might be you know you've already lost that student or they've dropped out or whatever it might be and so I think creating the environment um like showing up to the events trying to decolonize your worldview in any way you can um, Lots of book recommendations. I think the biggest one would be like Red Pedagogy. Anybody working in higher education should read that book um, just to have a better background about native students. But no, I think, so making that space, making that community for your students, and then also working maybe like on interdisciplinary um, projects. So if you're within a chemistry department, that doesn't mean you can't bring in native perspective or issues that are, you know, impacting native students. I'm sure that there's a chemical component to uh, the pipelines, you know, or whatever it might be. I think that there's always opportunities to bring in other perspectives into classrooms and. Um, we get so siloed within our disciplines. It's like, oh no, this is education. Like education is the same with all communities. And it's, it's not. And so it's important that we recognize those differences and bring them in because they can really make our students feel um,
0: seen and, and, and heard. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Both of y'all have brought great insight. Um, I mean, I, Tame, I, I agree with what you said. It's, it's about finding those ways that we can bring that indigenous way of knowing and indigenous knowledge, those traditional indigenous knowledges into the various disciplines, you know. We, we can utilize these in cross-disciplinary ways. And um, I just love it. Uh, so my last question for you was, I know we've talked a lot about different areas and different um, ways that we could work with administration, work with faculty, staff, you know, utilize our voices. I just wanted to give you both the opportunity if there was one last thing that you wanted to share with our listeners um, or one last piece of advice that you wanted to share. Um, I wanted to offer that space up for you all now.
1: I would just say um, I know mental health is one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of our students are facing and for myself as well that I think that we can, I'll just speak from my own experience. I came into Dartmouth and started doing all the things and it was like, oh, I'm joining this club, I'm joining that club, Um, I'm gonna go on these trips and I'm gonna lead this organization. And um, because that's what you feel like you're there to do and it can become overwhelming. And I always thought early on that, oh, you know, those mental health spaces and resources aren't for me, or I'm doing fine, or I'm managing. Um, and even after people would encourage me to go and see the college therapist, or you know, one of the resources that they had there, and so, and then I didn't go until it was too late, and you know, I had to take medical leave, which you know, I can't count on two hands how many students and friends. That I had had to go on medical leave when they were at college, and some of them never come back. And so I think um, take my advice would be to take mental health seriously. If you feel like you're overwhelmed or you know you're struggling, to reach out as soon as you can, and and to really destigmatize what seeing a therapist means. And so I think that if You know, another part about going to universities, you might not have access to your you might be far away from home and your family, you might not have, you know, if if you're a ceremonial person, you might not have ceremony there. Um, So, to me, you know, it can be difficult to go to a therapist and trust them and I know it can be hard too because I know folks have shared with me and I know from my own experience of being in therapy for like seven or eight years now of people saying well I do more explaining they don't they, they don't know what it means to be native and so I have to spend most of my session explaining um, but I challenge myself when I sit through that first session of a therapist and I feel like they don't know that I'm like okay I'm gonna give it one more I'll give it one more time, and you know, see if you know, because it they are there to help. So if they're there to help, and and I can trust that that's going to happen, then maybe some good can happen. And so, I would just say that go to a therapist and um, don't uh, shove it under a rug, <laughs> because it's just going to get bigger and bigger and more overwhelming until you you will hit a breaking point. And, you know, especially when you're pulling all-nighters and um, you're already stretched too thin, um, you know, people might also not recognize the signs as fast as you do because they might not know you as well and didn't grow up with you. And so um, I would say go to your therapist, call your mama if you can, (laughs) she'll pick up Um, because it's tough, it's tough. But uh, once you're done um you're done unless you have to go get that phd like corey did um but but once you're done you're done and you know like you're you're you are better off for it and so just try to make the time when you are in school the healthiest you can um because you You got to take care of you first before you can take care of your community and your clubs and your organizations and all those other things that you want to be a part of.
2: For sure, I have something very similar to add. Um, And I think that when we come to universities, I don't know what happens to our brains, but we just think that we have to do like a billion things or I guess that is kind of what is expected of students now is just to be as involved as they can. and so kind of similar to what Wakai was talking about, whenever I came to OU, I joined all the clubs and you know, tried to get leadership roles where I could. And by my junior year, I was extremely burned out. And not only was my mental health suffering, but I felt like I was really missing out culturally. And I was really disconnected from like my passion and what I thought I was supposed to be doing and, and why I had even come to OU in the first place. And so my junior year was the year that I was like, okay, I need to see a therapist. I need to be reconnected with my community. Um, And, you know, once I started doing those things, you know, I found myself again and um, I found my spaces and I I found my voice, but it's so easy, I think, to get swept up into this PWI world um, and to think that the most important thing is, you know, being president of this club or doing this or X, Y, and Z. and sometimes what's really important is going home for ceremony or what's really important is, you know, calling your grandma instead of going to do whatever. And I think that's something that it took me. I, I wish I it didn't take me two years to realize, but something that, um, you know, I hope I can tell other people is that mental health component is really important. But so is that cultural component. And so, like, make sure those two things are, you know, intertwined and um, your education will be there, and not to put that on the back burner or anything, but your mental health and your cultural health, I think are um, really important and it's easy to forget about them when you first start um, school. So that's my last piece of advice.
0: Well, thank you both. And I think, you know, that notion of balance that you both talked about, you know, making sure that there's a balance in what we do, because, you know, I think, Wakaya, you, you said it very well when you said you got to take care of yourself before you take care of your community. And Tama, that also includes that cultural well-being that you talked to, that culture, that cultural health. Um, and so I just want to say thank you both. Thank you both for sharing space with us today. Thank you both for sharing your stories and sharing your experiences with us today. And to all of our listeners out there, I hope you were able to um find something, connect with something that will help you elevate or help you find your own voice on your campus. And um, that's, that's what we were here today to do. We were here today to discuss this and share that. And I know for me, it's always inspiring to hear your words. And so for everyone out there, we just wanna thank you all. Thank uh, Wakaya and Tama again for being here with us. And we look forward to having you back here next week as we continue this journey. Um, As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Still for the Inspired Podcast.